0: Hello and welcome to Speaking of Psychology, a biweekly podcast from the American Psychological Association. I'm your host, Caitlin Luna. Before we get started, we want to remind you that we love hearing from our listeners. If you have any comments, questions, or ideas for us, email me at kluna at apa.org. That's K-L-U-N-A at apa.org. Half of Americans today say they are lonely, and the average person reports having only one close friend. Loneliness can also make us sick, contributing to heart disease, depression, suicide, and cognitive decline. Why is this happening, and what can we do about it? In this episode of Speaking of Psychology, I'm speaking with Dr. Julianne Holt-Lunstad, Professor of Psychology and Neuroscience at Brigham Young University, who's an expert on loneliness and social connectedness. Welcome, Dr. Holt-Lunstad. Thank you. So first I wanted to ask, do we have a loneliness epidemic and what trends are you seeing in your research? You know, that's a, a great question and I've
1: certainly heard this term being used, epidemic. Uh, the Vivek Murthy, the former U.S. Surgeon General, has, has uh, uh, suggested that we have a loneliness epidemic So have leaders from multiple nations. Uh, And even recently, I um, was attending a talk where someone from the World Health Organization uh, also referred to this as an epidemic. And I get this question a lot. And so I actually tried to look up the term epidemic to determine what, 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 the definition is, and whether this met the criteria for that or not, and of course, most definitions out there refer to infectious diseases, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, uh, of course, this this doesn't uh, apply in that sense. Uh, but yet, of course, we use the term uh, about other kinds of health issues. So, for instance, it's been used uh, to refer to as uh, uh, an obesity epidemic, uh, an opioid epidemic. And so from a standpoint that this is something that is health relevant, uh, that affects uh, a a significant portion of the population, uh, and and something that uh, is concerning that should be prioritized, I, I do believe the evidence does apply. There's some question about whether it is increasing or not, um, but we do have good evidence that a significant portion of the population is affected.
0: So and why do you think people are lonely today? I mean, you said you're not really quite sure if those numbers are increasing or if it's just maybe we're becoming more aware of it. But, um, you know, what are some of the reasons you're, you're seeing why people are feeling lonely?
1: Right, and, and of course... Uh, I can only speculate in terms of why that is the case because certainly I and others have been studying these uh, this issue for some time, and uh, so we've had data on this for a while, but it seems to really only be uh, widely acknowledged very recently, uh, mm-hmm. and there seems to be some recent Uh, concern. And so, of course, even myself, I've thought about why it is that perhaps uh, there is increasing attention. And so, I mean, one possibility is that simply we now have more evidence. And so this is now simply getting acknowledged. But I do think that there may be uh, more timely issues that may be contributing to uh increased awareness or inc- increased concern and so for instance uh one possibility is that uh, the way in which we interact socially has changed dramatically with changes in technology. And of course, this is uh, a hotly debated topic in terms of whether or not technology is increasing loneliness or not, um, or can be a solution or both. Uh, But I do think that uh, it, it is widely acknowledged that that it has changed the way in which we interact socially. And so this has perhaps uh, led to increased awareness and perhaps concern about uh, the potential effects. Uh, but it's it's probably not the only um, factor that may be leading to increased attention. So some other uh, potential explanations that or hypotheses that have been offered have been also, for instance, uh, the the divisive politics that we're seeing recently, mm-hmm. uh, not only in the US, but uh, elsewhere. And this growing sense of a feeling of a fraying social fabric. Uh, and whether uh this has led to divisive politics or divisive politics have led to increased uh isolation from each other and a feeling of isolation um it's difficult to say but for instance uh there was a a Reuters poll uh that showed that uh that since the election and i forget the exact uh percentage but that uh a a significant portion of, of people have actually uh, ended relationships with family and friends over politics mm-hmm. uh, and uh, have have unfollowed people on social media over politics.
0: That's not surprising. Uh, <laughs>
1: um, so, it, it, you know, it's possible that that's playing a role. We also know that there's changing demographics. And so we have An increasing number of people who are living alone, um, more so now than ever. And this is not just the case in the US, but also in uh, the UK and Europe. And uh, we also have some evidence to suggest that network sizes are shrinking. We have fewer people who are uh, getting married, fewer people that are having children. Uh, And so with these changes in demographics, Uh, With, on top of that, an increase in aging population, Uh, we also have increasing concern about how we're going to care for our aging population that will no longer have uh, uh, or have less likely to have familial or community resources to draw upon in older age. Uh, So this might be another factor uh, but, uh, of course, we, d- we don't know the exact reason, and it's likely a, a number of factors that are contributing to it. Those may be potential factors that are at least uh, leading to increase awareness and concern around this issue.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting, as you mentioned, around the world, you know, we're reading of stories about, you know, if you're talking about more older people, less younger people. There's a lot of uh, changes in birth rates and things like that. Um, And also how, you know, even if it's not social services necessarily, or enough people in the workforce to take care of older people, it could also just be older, more older people, if they don't have other people, younger people, more younger people in their lives, they might be more lonely too. So really (laughs) interesting to see how it plays out over the years. And, and one
1: clarification I should make is, of course, just because someone uh, lives alone or is unmarried or doesn't have children doesn't necessarily mean that they are isolated or lonely. Mm-hmm. So um, you could, of course, have a, a wide social network uh, and not feel lonely at all. Um, however, we do have some evidence that, um, for instance, living alone uh, carries a significant risk for premature mortality uh, in, independent of loneliness, and there's some evidence to suggest that among those that live alone, they're more likely to report loneliness as well.
0: Yeah, I wanted to, um, to elaborate on that a little bit because I think sometimes people equate someone who likes to spend time alone, maybe a more introverted person, They equate that with being lonely. But as you said, it's not really necessarily the case. I mean, some people like to spend, you know, go on. uh, I know people like to go on vacations by themselves, you know, into the woods, you know, or, or whatnot. So it's not necessarily the person's lonely. They just need their space and time alone from other people.
1: Right. I think it is important to distinguish because I think we we often use the terms social isolation and loneliness interchangeably. Mm-hmm. And of course, they can coexist, uh, but they are independent. So as you mentioned, you can be uh, on your own, alone and not feel lonely. But of course, people can uh, still feel lonely even when Surrounded by others, mm-hmm. uh, so it is important to to recognize these distinctions uh, that they don't always go hand in hand, but they they certainly can co uh, co occur also.
0: Yeah, I want to go back to what you mentioned about technology because you know, as m- most things in this world, there's a it's a good thing and a blessing and a curse. So. Um, technology connects people f- with like minds from all over the world about various topics. So someone could say, I found someone who's interested in a very niche hobby that I'm into, where um, I might not have found someone in my community, and they might build an online community and feel really positive about that. But others might feel disconnected from others, what, because they're communicating only through social media or text. So I wanted to ask if being connected electronically is a substitute for face-to-face connections at all.
1: So uh, that's it's a, a great question and I think we're still really trying to fully understand it uh, because of course technology can come in lots of different forms mm-hmm. and uh, and I think we often, uh, we often think of social media and Facebook when we think of technology, but there there are a variety, right? But even among uh, these kinds of uses, so the use of smartphones or the use of social media, uh, even that the evidence is somewhat mixed in the sense of uh, we find different effects uh, across age for, um, so for instance, there are s- some uses that show beneficial effects among older adults, but the same type of usage uh, shows more detrimental effects among younger adults. Uh, but depending on how you even use it, uh, shows different findings. So, for instance, whether you are uh, using it for communication versus passively Uh, say, scrolling a a Mm newsfeed. But also we have to keep in mind that much of the evidence that exists currently is cross-sectional or correlational. And so when we do find, for instance, uh, a study that shows that people who spend more time online uh, are more lonely, we can't say that it's the time spent online that made them lonely, or whether people who are more lonely spend more time online. Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. It's
0: not really clear cut in many ways. Right. You're saying. Yeah.
1: And and even those that the studies that have followed people over time, these are typically very short term follow up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we really currently lack the evidence to to know what the long-term effects, uh, of, of these may be. And so, uh, we, We do know, however, that there is robust evidence that being socially connected can have uh, powerful influences on our health and, and well-being, so to the extent to which this increases actual connection, so physical contact or even a feeling of connection is likely to be associated with more positive effects. And the extent to which these may detract or take away time from spending with other uh, or uh, eliciting feelings of feel, feeling more disconnected, uh,
0: that this would likely have uh, more detrimental effects. Yeah. So what does the research say about why social relationships are important for our physical and mental health?
1: Yeah, so we have now decades of research that has examined this. And in particular, my own research, we looked at uh, the overall risk uh, associated with lacking social connections on uh, risk for premature mortality.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And so what we found was when we looked across uh, a variety of ways of measuring social connections, whether it be network size or feelings of loneliness or uh, isolation or or social support, uh, averaged across these. And keep in mind, we had 148 studies with over 300,000 participants. And these followed people over time. And what they found was the extent to which they reported that they were socially connected, predicted who was alive and who uh, was not alive at the follow-up to the extent that this was associated with a 50% increase in survival. And just to put that into perspective, the magnitude of that effect is comparable and in some cases exceeds the other other kinds of risk factors that we take very seriously for our health. So for instance, this exceeds the risk associated with obesity, uh, physical inactivity, uh, and uh, air pollution. So those are uh, the risk of, of lacking social connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've also... Uh, Looked specifically at indicators that look uh, specifically at lack of social connection, so social isolation, living alone, and loneliness. And in that meta-analysis, we had over three point four million participants. And and again, um, what we found was that each of these, uh, even though they are conceptually uh, distinct. Each of these were significant predictors of premature mortality. So we have, uh, and and keep in mind, uh, there have been additional research that has been published since this time that has also found similar findings. So we have very robust data that lacking social connections uh, is a significant risk factor and uh, that being socially connected is a significant protective effect protective factor.
0: Yeah, it's all very fascinating how how important that is not only in an individual's health and well-being, but that well-being includes social connections and having others in our lives. It's really powerful to show how how necessary it is for our, our health and well-being. Yes,
1: yes. Uh, I think oftentimes uh, we may... Assume that our relationships are just associated with uh, psychological well-being or emotional well-being, uh, because certainly our relationships can influence us. But it's uh, really important to recognize just how important our relationships are for our physical health as well.
0: So now I want to focus on different generations and how loneliness um, affects different age groups. So there was a study from Cigna that said that members of Generation Z, so those are teenagers and young adults between 15 and 21. That, that study found that they, that group is more likely than any other age group to feel lonely. And on a similar spectrum, um, APA does a Stress in America report every year, and this one was released in late no, in early November, which found that Generation Z was also most likely to report poor mental health, and 91% of those, surveys experience, sur- those surveyed experienced at least one physical or emotional symptom of stress over a one-month span. So how do stress and loneliness relate to each other, and what are you seeing in Generation Z?
1: Yeah, so... Uh much of my my work looks at the physiological effects of relationships and uh, also uh, stress, and so there's uh, of course a wide literature that shows that stress uh, impacts a variety of health relevant physiological processes that can increase risk for. Physical health uh, problems. And our relationships or lack thereof can impact this as well. So, whether our relationships help us cope with stress and buffer some of these negative effects, uh, or our relationships can also be sources of stress. And uh, whether that's through poor quality relationships, or uh, a sense of, of lack on the part of our relationships that we cannot count on them. So for instance, there's uh, work in neuroscience that supports the idea that our relationships are adaptive also because they provide a sense of safety and security. And that when we are alone or with um, uh Compared to those, uh, compared to when we are with others, particularly trusted others, uh, that, for instance, we need to be more vigilant to threats in our environment. And so this can have uh, an effect on our bodies as our bodies are preparing. Uh, to handle whatever threats they may be facing. Uh, So, in this way, our our relationships can have a powerful influence on on our physiology uh, that is uh, very much related to the kinds of processes that occur when we are under stress, um, or as I mentioned, can also be sources of stress. Uh, we also know that this can have an impact on behaviors as well. So whether uh, it's due to non-social stress or uh, uh, more social, socially related stress, that we may engage in poorer health behaviors, whether that is uh Uh, eating poorly or uh, getting insufficient sleep uh, or uh, not getting enough exercise, Uh, but the kinds of things that people do to cope with stress may result in poor health behaviors that also may ultimately be a pathway by which our relationships
0: may influence health. And is this more prevalent in younger people? Do you think young people today are more st- more stressed and and um, you know experiencing more of these symptoms? There is some data uh, that
1: suggests that this may be the case. So, for instance, you mentioned the Signa survey that showed that uh, there's also some additional surveys, uh, not only here in the U.S. but also uh, in the U.K., for example, that suggests that. Uh, this younger group may be showing the highest prevalence rates. And the big question is why Why might this be? And of course, this is a life transition that may be marked with uh, social transitions. And so the question is whether that this is always been the case, uh, and we're just seeing more mm-hmm. evidence of this now, or whether this particular generation of teens and, and young adults are lonelier than previous generations, there is some evidence to suggest that. And uh, while I don't know that we can say for sure why that is the case, a couple of hypotheses that may explain that uh, have may be related to changes in the um, technology, as we talked about earlier. Uh, So, the more widespread use of smartphones and social media. uh, But it also may be that there may be growing pressure for uh, younger generations to succeed. And so, for instance, uh, greater pressure to Uh, do well in school, to do well um, beyond graduation. Uh, For instance, increases in uh, children being involved in extracurricular activities, which of course is laudable, uh, but may come at the expense of having time for friends and socializing and learning social skills. Uh, And so uh, this increased pressure to do well and to be successful uh, may be potentially one contributing factor. But of course, uh, as I said, um, I don't know that we can say for sure whether it's one or the other or both and other factors that, uh, uh, you know, we haven't even considered, Uh, but it's certainly worth exploring further given that we are seeing uh, increases also of anxiety and depression on college campuses Mm -hmm. uh, nationwide. And so this is uh, certainly an increased concern that needs to be addressed.
0: And for for older adults over forty five, um, an AARP study found that about forty three million adults over forty five are also report suffering from chronic loneliness. So, what are we seeing from members of Generation X and Baby Boomers?
1: Yeah. So uh, both of these, uh, as I mentioned, may be related with life transitions. For so for the younger generation, it may be transition transitioning from home to uh, leaving home. And uh, for the older generation, it may be the transition from the workplace into retirement. Uh, It may also be associated with other kinds of social transitions, such as uh, children leaving home, uh, uh, also widowhood. And so, there may be important social disruptions that are occurring in these life transitions. Among older adults, there's also uh, the increased potential for health and mobility issues to uh, potentially have an influence. So with uh, increasing health problems, that may uh, reduce one's ability to to be social, so it may may, uh, increase likelihood of isolation. And for instance, mobility, uh, vision, hearing, uh, loss of, of these that are untreated may reduce one's ability to interact with others, which of course would increase risk for loneliness. So there's a variety of factors that may be contributing to this, and it's important to Uh, really be sensitive to what may be the contributing factor uh, to start looking into the most effective ways to address it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I came across an article this week in the San Francisco Chronicle about senior co-housing as a way to combat loneliness. I mean, it sounded somewhat similar to like a retirement community slash college dorm, uh, college living, because it was basically... In these settings, seniors have their own individual home, but then they share common areas and communal meals several times a week. Um, so what do you think about this? Is this a solution to some of the loneliness that might come along with older adults if they experience the loss of their spouse, if they um, are living, need to move away from their home or something like that to maybe more of a, a smaller place or something?
1: Yeah, I've been really fascinated by by these trends. It's... it's um, incredibly creative in the sense of, I think oftentimes psychologists, when we think of interventions, we think of very much individual based, almost therapy based kinds of solutions. And yet, um, certainly we know from public health that the built environment uh, can can have powerful effects. And of course, housing is part of that. And so I've uh, seen increasing attention around designing communities uh, to foster social connection. And in particular, as we talked about, there are our changes in our demographics. And if we think about it, homes are often designed for single family, um, but yet our demographics are changing. And there's the suggestion that our housing needs to change accordingly. Uh, And so, I think, of course, with any kind of solution, we need to Evaluate its effectiveness and and collect data, um, but I'm certainly intrigued by this. And and of course, uh, the uh, component of intergenerational interaction uh, is something that is of great interest uh, recently. And just as you know, somewhat of an anecdote, I recently uh, had the opportunity to visit some of the blue zones. These are communities around the world that have been identified as hotspots of longevity where people live uh, healthier, longer lives than anywhere else uh, in the world. And uh, one of the things that I noticed is in these communities, uh, there was a lot of intergenerational interaction. And uh, so, for instance, even at dinners and and gatherings, and in Greece, where you know the festival, the the dancing, uh, you see children to uh, you know grandparents, uh, all ages, and it, it, you're not separated by by age. There wasn't an adult table and a child table. Yeah. <laughs> um, er- everyone's uh, interacting and. And certainly uh, older adults were revered for their wisdom. And so it certainly caused me to reflect upon how the different generations can uh, learn from each other and how uh, there's so much to offer uh, in, you know, in a bi-directional way uh, that you know that the young can offer the old, and that the old can offer the young, and uh, so I, I'm excited to see what kinds of possibilities might come out of these kinds of solutions, uh, and and hope to see uh, some of them here in the United States as well.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a trend in urban and community planning. Um, I'm definitely seeing it here in D.C. Um, and other places where you know there's a, a uh, wanting to get people out of cars and obviously more active in walking and creating a sense of space even in a kind of suburban area where there might be shops and restaurants kind of a walkable area which is is very different from from previous uh decades so um as you mentioned, I, mean, I think it's really fascinating where urban design or, you know, community planning can really fit into creating a sense of community um, and how powerful that is because you can really feel the difference between an area that's where there's not a lot of people around, people really rely on their cars, it's not very friendly to people wanting to be out in that space as opposed to an area where it really encourages walking and hanging out, that kind of thing, and encourages people to be out and being social with each other. Um yeah. Have you? Uh, do you have any more thoughts on that about how, where we can go with urban planning and community design?
1: Oh, um, yeah. It's it's really fascinating. I, I'm just, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I think we often think about solutions from this individual perspective, and yet we really need to think about it from uh, the more of a community and even population wide level types of solutions. And as we think about how we design our communities, not only do we need to think about, you know, how walkable it is, but how that impacts people socially. And uh, there is, the World Health Organization has a health and all policy framework. And if you think about how, there are health implications for policy to um, uh, uh, policy and practices. I think we could extend that to uh, social and in, in all policy in the sense of what are the social implications of of policy and practices, including things like urban design and transportation. Uh, I think most of us don't readily uh, uh, connect transportation as being a social issue, but whether it is uh, impeding one's ability to get around and get out, Mm -hmm. uh, certainly for older adults um, or those with mobility issues, this can be incredibly isolating. Um, But also just to how uh inviting and welcoming uh a community is or even a sense of of feeling safe and secure so for instance uh communities that uh where there are safety concerns people are less likely to be out in their community less opportunity to engage with others, and this can lead to greater isolation as well. Uh, So, everything from the safety of the community to uh, just having spaces to gather, to uh, even uh, how well it's maintained. Uh, So... um, Uneven sidewalks can be a problem for people getting out and uh, interacting with others. Uh, just as as another uh, anecdote, i when I was in one of these blue zones, i I met a hundred mm-hmm. um, and five year old man and and the the first time I met him, he had been riding his bike. I think, 15 kilometers every single day.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: (laughs) So not only was I incredibly impressed that he's riding a bike at 105, (laughs) um, but that what I was impressed with is not only just uh, the, of course, the physical health benefits of being physically active, but he was incredibly involved in his community. Uh, So he was able to get out to the shops. He uh, visited... Other people in the community. Uh, he was involved in the theater. He was, um, he was out and about uh, in the community. He wasn't waiting for others to come visit him. Uh, and so, when we think about transportation and mobility, uh, we do need to think about the the social consequences that are related to these.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's fascinating and shows the importance of also putting yourself out there. I mean, mm-hmm. you, it's a two way street. I mean, you know, you don't, sometimes maybe people are more shy or reserved, but you know, the importance of trying things and, you know, seeking out others with like interests, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, you've spoken a lot about the trends you're seeing globally. Um, and I know you were a recent keynote speaker of the UK campaign to end loneliness. And I read another article about how Britain has uh, recently appointed a minister of loneliness. So can you talk more about what conversations people around the world are having about loneliness and how to um, combat loneliness?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So not only did they did the UK appoint a minister for loneliness? But they recently published a national health strategy around loneliness, um, wow. which uh, has really outlines a, a strategic plan for addressing this at a national level, from assessment to uh, multiple departments. Uh, addressing this. I also have been to Australia. I'm on their, um, the Australian Coalition to End Loneliness. I'm on their scientific advisory board. And they have multiple organizations in Australia that are also devoted to this. So they have a national organization called Relationships Australia. Uh We also know that many countries in Europe, I was uh, recently uh, in Madrid, Spain, and uh, where there were people not only from Spain talking about their efforts, but from other nations, uh, including Denmark um, uh, and Germany and and other countries. Uh, And so we do know that many of these other countries are uh looking into this at a national level and the uk is from from my awareness leading the way in terms of having a very strategic plan in place and a an appointed Uh, government position to oversee this work. That's not to say that we aren't doing anything in the U.S. Um, There are many organizations here in the U.S. that are highly interested in this Mm -hmm. and are uh, addressing this, Uh, but certainly we have a long way to go uh, to address this very complex issue.
0: Yeah, I think it's fascinating because I think it's easy to assume that this could be maybe an American problem because of an emphasis on an individuality. Um, But it's fascinating to know that it's across the board in other countries where, you know, that might have some aspects of traditional life, like like you said, in Spain or, or things like that. But, you know, perhaps this is just something that comes along with uh, maybe some aspects of modern life, maybe some more awareness. Um, but yeah, it sounds like there's just a lot of really positive things happening in this, in this space, all in all different countries. Yeah. And, and so I'm just um,
1: excited to watch how this unfolds and, and importantly, uh, so that we can look to the kinds of solutions that are effective and how can we do them even more efficiently uh, and and more effectively.
0: Is there any um, research about how pets can help with loneliness? Um, the American Veterinary Medical Association says that pet ownership's on the rise. Do you know if that has anything to do with people feeling more lonely? So... Um, First off, I should mention that when we
1: looked at the effects of uh, being socially connected on on uh, longevity, we limited it to studies that were human based. <laughs> 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 um, but certainly, uh, many people see their pets as a, a source of support and comfort, uh, and and so, uh, uh, but. There is some evidence to suggest that pet ownership and in particular dog ownership uh, may be associated with uh, better outcomes mm-hmm. I'm less familiar with the details of of the strength of that evidence uh, but I do I am aware that there is some evidence to suggest that uh, pen o- pet ownership uh, is associated with some benefits and and of course uh, you know it, there's whether it is uh that pets are a source of comfort and and social support or whether it is that uh having something or someone that uh that relies upon you, so that there's meaning and purpose, uh, or whether it's the physical activity of having to, say, for instance, walk a dog, uh, or if it's that activity that gets you out interacting with other people. Uh, there, those are some, you know, potential explanations. Uh, but of course, uh, I I'm less familiar with this work uh, <laughs> <laughs> than I am with the the human research.
0: Yeah, there's maybe there's perhaps there's some like you said anecdotal things, or mm-hmm. you know, could, you know, if people want a pet, it doesn't hurt to ha- to have someone who is you know, some a comforting, cuddly animal around the house or active animal around the house, depending on what kind of pet you have. Um, it, it's just as we wrap up here, I wanted to know if you have any advice for people who are feeling lonely. I mean, is do you have anything that you can share to people who might be feeling this way?
1: Yeah. So, uh, of course, from a scientific standpoint, we're still trying to uh, really identify um, what are the best approaches to reducing loneliness. And I think the biggest challenge is going to be the fact that for different people, uh, what's causing that loneliness may be very different. And so, the, um, the way in which... That loneliness might reduce might mean a very different approach for one person than for another. Um, however, uh, and it's there has been uh, um, surveys that have asked people when you've been lonely in the past, what has helped and what has not been helpful. And so, for instance, um, the recent BBC survey asked this, and what I found so fascinating about it was that one of the top responses for what has been helpful uh, was getting involved in social groups. Mm -hmm. but it was also one of the top responses for advice that was given to them that was not helpful. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like (laughs) speak to what's the individual person's needs. Right, and so that might be
1: that it may be helpful for some and not for others, but it also might be that it might be that the right kind of social group might be helpful, but not all
0: social groups might be helpful. That's true. That's true. You definitely have to build connections with people. I mean, just being around others who, you know, might not be the same as when you have deep connections with people and can really, you know, be intimate with someone on either a friendship or a romantic relationship level.
1: Right. And so, um, you know, one thing that might be Incredibly challenging and difficult to do for some, though, is to reach out and uh, reach out to other people. And so there's some evidence to suggest that providing support to others can actually be more beneficial than receiving support. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, in, instead of perhaps waiting for others to help you or to reach out to you, uh, find ways that you can help others and reach out to others.
0: Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Lundstadt. My pleasure. If you've been a longtime listener or are new to our podcast, please consider giving us a rating in iTunes, or if you have time, write a review. We'd really appreciate it. Also, we'd like to hear from you directly, so if you have any questions, comments, or ideas to share, please email me at, kluna at apa.org. That's k l u n a at apa.org. Speaking of Psychology is part of the APA Podcast Network, which includes other great podcasts like APA Journals Dialogue about new psychological research and progress notes about the practice of psychology. You can find all our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to our website, speakingofpsychology.org, and listen to more episodes and see more resources on the topics we discuss. I'm Caitlin Luna with the American Psychological Association.